0: I'm sitting here at my desk today, in October, longing for someone to hug me and encourage me to keep strong and hold my head high. This particular phase in my life is the most dangerous. My husband is planning an accident with my car, brake failure and serious head injury in order to make the path clear. Those are the words of Diana Spencer, Princess of Wales, in a 1996 letter to her butler, Paul Burrell. Four years later, Dinah died in a car accident. Conspiracy? Maybe. Coincidence? Maybe. Complicated? Definitely. Welcome to Conspiracy and Chill, the podcast where I dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I am Chavi Chug and I am not a conspiracy theorist, but I am open-minded, skeptical and curious. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth, but sometimes it's not. Today, I'm talking about the death of Princess Diana. Officially, she died in a car accident in Paris in 1997. Her driver was under the influence, the paparazzi were chasing them, and she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. A series of apparent coincidences concluded in tragedy, but that's not the only story of how Diana died. As much as I hate to say it, Dinah is most famous for the man she married, Prince Charles of Wales, the current heir to the British crown. They were married for a tumultuous 15 years, had two sons, Prince William and Harry, and were in the media constantly. Constantly. I can't stress that enough. As soon as the royal engagement was announced in February of 1981, Dinah was never able to leave the spotlight again. Think about everything you've heard about Meghan Markle recently and amplify it by 10 because Diana was going to be Queen. Unfortunately, she suffered this public attention without ever ascending the throne, and the attention didn't diminish even slightly when she and Prince Charles divorced in 1996 because Diana died just one year later. Just after midnight on August 31, 1997, the Mercedes S280 carrying Diana crashed into the 13th pillar of Paris in Pont d'Alma tunnel. Diana's lover, Dory Fayed, and their driver on Ripple died immediately. Diana died from her injuries, namely a torn pulmonary vein and displaced heart four hours later. Her bodyguard, Trevor Rees Jones, was the crash's sole survivor. Her sons William and Harry were only 15 and 12 at the time. It was a tragedy, but many people believe it wasn't an accident. Before I jump headfirst into conspiracy theories, I need some context. First, the commonly accepted history leading up to the crash, and then the official version of what happened to Princess Diana that night in 1997. But before that, I want to provide a quick aside on conspiracy theories and why they interest us. Conspiracy theories hinge on a concept called agenticity. Agenticity is how a person looks at a series of events, finds a pattern, and assumes it means something. This is convenient if, say, you break out in hives whenever you eat watermelon, so you assume that that means you're allergic to watermelon and stop eating it to avoid another outbreak of hives. But it's less convenient given that life is random. We don't have an obvious explanation for everything. So how do we find meaning? Historically, humans find meaning through stories and storytelling. If something doesn't make sense, we create a story to explain it. Think about ancient folklore which proposed solutions for the mysteries of life. People need answers and if they don't get a satisfying answer, they create a narrative that aligns with the facts they have when creating these stories and searching for solutions. Many people like to use Occam's razor, the concept that the simplest answer to a question is the correct one. But we know the truth, even when everyone takes it for a fact, can be complicated, especially when the true story doesn't comply with agenticity and follow a logical, understandable sequence of events. To put it in movie critic terms, sometimes there are plot holes in the truth and real life plot holes are open to being filled with conspiracy theories, creating new and intriguing stories. Personally, I love stories, which is why I am excited to dive in, regardless of the lines between fact and fiction, which in this podcast may get a little blurry. In general, I don't believe the earth is flat lizard people run the government or NASA fake the moon landing, but I do believe that those are fascinating ideas and the stories around them are worth telling. The most important person in this story is Diana herself. Before I go into detail about how she became a princess, fearful for her life and then famous for her death, I want to humanize her. There's a lot of negativity surrounding her death and why people wanted to kill her. So first, a few nice things about Princess Diana. A lady in her own right, the people's princess, and grandmother of adorable Prince George and Princess Charlotte. We think she would have been a wonderful, warm, and loving grandmother for all. For all the flaws media and the royal family found in her. No one could deny Dinah was great with children. She worked as a nanny and then a kindergarten teacher before she married Prince Charles. Her own children recalled her as loving with a great sense of humor. For example, when Prince William was about 13, he had posters of supermodels on his bedroom walls. Naomi Campbell, Christy Turlington, and Claudia Schiffer. Is this one of those royals that just like us stories? Not really. When William came home from school one day, he discovered the models from his posters were in his home. Living, breathing Naomi Campbell, Christy Tollington and Claudia Schiffer smiled and waved at him. William was speechless. For Diana, it was hilarious. Well, despite their connections, Diana tried to keep her kids grounded. She made them wait in line like all the other kids when they made trips to Disney World and McDonald's and that's not the only reason she got the nickname, The People's Princess. In 1987, at the height of the AIDS pandemic, patients were treated like lepers. It was commonly assumed that making skin-to-skin contact with an AIDS patient would get you sick. Diana learned this information was in fact false. She shook hands with an AIDS patient without wearing gloves and like everything Diana did, it was photographed. She knew it would be photographed and used her celebrity status to single-handedly break down some of the stigmas against AIDS. With a simple handshake, she humanized this patient and others suffering from AIDS diana knew a human touch was important and helped bring life to the sometimes frigid royal family she frequently wrote personal thank you notes which were described as effusive and touching the next major players in the story are diana's ex-husband prince charles and his current wife duchess camilla to understand their involvement we have to go back to the 1970s and the story of how princess diana became princess of wales In his youth, Prince Charles was a bit of a playboy, not unlike his son Prince Harry. He was romantically linked to over 40 women before marrying and that's just what's public knowledge. When a big part of your job description is finding the future Queen of England and producing heirs, it makes sense to consider your options. I don't think that's what was going on in 1970. When Charles was in his early 20s, his ex-girlfriend introduced him to Camilla. There was an instant spark and the pair soon started dating, often going to polo matches together. They both loved the countryside and horses, but their relationship faced many obstacles. Camilla had unfinished business with her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Andrew Parker Bowles, and Charles's family did not approve of Camilla. The royal family expected Charles to marry a beautiful, virginal woman, preferably with noble status. A tomboy, Camilla was not believed to be a great beauty. She had history with Andrew Bowles, and though she was from the upper class and had some noble blood, she had no title. Lucky for her, Charles loved her and love conquers all. But in this case, love took some time to conquer. In nineteen seventy three, Prince Charles shipped off with the Royal Navy because Camilla wasn't the girl his parents wanted him to marry or perhaps because he didn't expect her to move on in his eight-month absence. Charles didn't ask Camilla to wait for him, so Camilla reconnected with her old flame, Andrew. Camilla's savvy parents seized this opportunity to do what they believed was best for their daughter. They put out a newspaper announcement saying Andrew Parker Bowles had proposed to Camilla. He had done no such thing. However, decorum was still very important among the British upper class in the 1970s. To avoid shame, Andrew was forced to propose to Camilla, and she was forced to accept. They married a few months later in what was called the society wedding of the year. It's said that when Charles learned of the engagement, he cried all night, but he had no power to change the situation. He had to act like a prince and keep his emotions in check. So Camilla and Charles remained friends, which, as expected, didn't work. By 1980, Camilla was cheating on her husband with Charles, though to be fair, Andrew was cheating on Camilla as well. Over the years, Prince Charles faced mounting parental pressure to marry just the right girl. He was heir to the throne. He had a duty to his family and country. He was over 30 and needed a wife. In 1977, he found a seemingly solid option in Lady Sarah Spencer. In addition to owning a country estate and a home in London, the Spencers could trace their lineage back to England's Stuart monarchs in the 1400s, as well as the European noble houses including the Habsburgs and Medicis. Charles and Sarah's relationship didn't work out, but through Sarah, he met her teenage sister Lady Diana. As a noble from one of the Wright families, Diana had actually been a childhood playmate of Charles' younger brothers, Prince Andrew and Edward, back in the 60s, but due to their 13-year age gap, Diana and Charles weren't introduced at that time. In 1980, when Diana was of legal age, she and Charles reconnected at a polo match. At 18, she had no romantic history, a high ranking noble title, and undeniable beauty. For the royals, she seemed perfect, so Charles married her and he married her fast. They saw each other 13 times between reconnecting at the polo match in 1980 and the televised fairy tale wedding on July 29, 1981. It was like The Bachelor on steroids. Like most Bachelor franchise relationships, it was a mess because like many Bachelor contestants, Dinah came with baggage. She was a young girl, her mother left. Her parents were divorced by the time Dinah was seven. A few years later, Dinah's father remarried, which might have been fine, but he remarried in secret and didn't inform any of his children he was taking a new wife until the ink was dry. Dinah felt betrayed by both parents. She longed for a strong, loving family and she became terrified of the idea that she might one day get a divorce too. Before meeting Prince Charles, Diana joked that she wanted to marry him because the royals were famously averse to divorce. Charles was the only man who could never divorce her, Ironic, but this choice would define the rest of her life.